in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from deep in the heart of Texas, Dustin Melbardis. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. Representing Misora Two Skies Dojo under Master Lance England, trained in Ishinru and the Tao of Pooh from University of Tennessee, the Hidden Dojo underneath the Hyper Building. You look like a worthy opponent, Russell. Oh, I bow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I keep my eyes on you while I'm bowing. That's one of the rules. Even if that, you that break is one it of the rules. in the movie. And the, you know what another good rule is? No, what? Always have a great guest on your podcast. Here today with us is Meredith Robson from here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Meredith? Good. It's really, really good to be here, even on this very stormy night in Pittsburgh, it seems. That's right. Very excited. Fun fact, Meredith designed the logo that you're looking at on your phone Mm -hmm. for the podcast so she is a graphic designer extraordinaire Meredith, do you want to tell people where they can find out more of your graphic design products such as gift wrap well you can go on society6.com slash meredith gray robson there's lots of stuff on there um you also can find a retro movie roundtable t-shirt on there if you would like it i have a couple and i like them Yep, there's also a lot of animal designs. If you like animals, there's tigers, horses, flamingos, all that sort of thing. There's not, but there is a snail. Okay, okay. There's a snail. If you like slime, there's a snail. Okay, 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 sure. That's the connection between (laughs) frog and and snail. I was wondering how Mm -hmm. you made that jump, no pun intended. Um, But maybe when you do release something frog-related, give me a call. I I want in on that. Okay, sure, will do. Yeah. (laughs) So, Meredith, I want to ask you, what is your favorite movie, Sword? Because I know you're a bit of a sword enthusiast. Yes, I am actually a collector of swords. I have a few. Um, But my favorite movie, Sword, specifically, and I think it's pronounced Hadafang from Lord of the Rings. Um, It's actually the sword that Liv Tyler uses in the movie. Um, It's just really beautiful. I have a replica of it. Um, The thing that I think is great about it is that it's sort of a cross between a European design and a katana, which is really what I prefer as far as the functionality and look of a sword. So it's got a nice curve. It's kind of like a cavalry saber. You can use it on horseback. It's just beautiful. Wow. Dustin, do you have a favorite movie sword? I do. And I almost started putting together like a top 10 of of favorite movie Mm -hmm. swords, but I stopped myself. Um, I'm going to go with the top of the list is is the Green Destiny from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, that that oh. fluid sword uh, is is uh, just a beautiful sword with like the design along the blade itself. It is uh, it's kind of wobbly by design. The the presence of this mm-hmm. sword kind of drives the whole movie, honestly. 
And I think what's kind of neat about it is you get to see Chow Yun-Fat, Michelle Yao, and Zhang Ziyi all wield it kind of differently. Uh, so it's it's the top of my list. I had a lot of other things to list. Uh, Leonidas's Falcata, Achilles' Gladius, the Bride's Sword, the Hattori Hanso Sword from Kill Bill. There's a lot of a lot of places mm-hmm. on the list. I just I haven't put it fully together yet. Maybe next time, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hit it cool. on the social media too. I'll put it on. Yeah, but the thing the thing I really li- liked about the Lord of the Rings sword is it was designed specifically for the movie. It was never in the book, so it looks pretty different uh, to everything else that you see in Lord of the Rings. Well, this one might be too straight edge for you guys, so my pick's going to be <laughs> Inga Montoya's Rapier from Princess Bride. Oh, That's a great pick. Uh, Russell, I specifically mm-hmm. left it off the list because I like who's wielding it. I don't think it's the sword that I particularly like. I just like Enigo Montoya so much. Uh, I, and I think I'm being largely influenced by who's wielding it. You're right. But on, mm-hmm. on the other hand, uh, so yeah, just going in a whole other direction with that. And then fun <laughs> question, Meredith, what's the last movie you saw? So the last movie I saw was called Gunpowder Milkshake. And it's on Netflix. So it's it's kind of funny because it seemed to be very uh, Bruce Lee influenced. It was really, uh, really good. It was interesting. They had um, a great variety of weapons. It was also a little bit 70s. So that was fun. Um, Karen Gillan is uh, the lead actress. So she's she's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And. Dustin, what's your last movie that you saw? Oh, that one sounds good. I my my last movie I saw was uh, a year before Enter the Dragon came out. Uh, the Big Boss was released. While I was preparing for this movie, I just got into the Bruce Lee mode, so I just uh, I watched The Big Boss as well. Okay, okay. I bet, well, we might ask a little bit more about that later than for points of comparison. Mm-hmm. My last movie that I watched was 1938's Bringing Up Baby. It's just one of those movies that's been on the AFI comedies list and i noticed it was sitting there on hbo max to be watched and i said uh check this out it is a very pleasant fun time it is and you would never do some of the things now that they do in that movie no don't want to spoil it but you would never do that no you're right i think that that's part of the the cool thing about it It, Mm -hmm. you couldn't i don't think this movie's gonna get remade so no um and if you did it would be terrible because it wouldn't you know yeah wouldn't be the same. Absolutely. How's the kung fu in it? There is a disturbing lack of kung fu, which we need to get correct today, because today we're doing Enter the Dragon. From 1973, it stars the infamous Bruce Lee, John Saxon, Jim Kelly, Anna Capri, uh, Bob Wall. It is budgeted for $850,000, and it makes a whole lot more. It grosses $21.4 million. So... Big returns for this one. It places at 13th on the box office. It is coming behind the world's greatest athlete and ahead of Sleeper with Woody Allen. The number one movie from 1973 is The Exorcist. No kung fu, but uh, definitely some cranial gymnastics on that one. Um, so IMDb gives Enter the Dragon a 7.7. Rotten Tomatoes critics give it a 95%. So the critics love this movie. And the audience... Loves it, too, at 91%. It's interesting, the IMDb rating is considerably lower at 7.7. So, This was the first Chinese martial arts film ever produced for a major Hollywood studio. It is often regarded as the movie that started the kung fu craze in America that went through the 70s and beyond and just started an entire genre. 
So, mm-hmm. Meredith, tell us, had you seen Into the Dragon before, and what was your background with it? So, I'd heard of it for a long time, you know, just probably like everybody else, but about three years ago, I was watching one of those, um, you know, the movie channel was like Epics or Cinemax or something like that, and I saw... Um, a a scene close to the end. And I was so intrigued. I couldn't stop watching it, even though it was, you know, not the beginning of the movie. I had to see it through. And then they played it later that day. So I watched it again. And I was just, you know, so taken with it. So that's, that's really my history with it. Yeah. And how is it holding up for you? It holds up, I think, very well. Um, There are only a couple of things probably with the script that I would not have done and also the sound, but we'll get into that later probably. Wow, okay. Yeah. Dustin, how about you? Have you seen Enter the Dragon before? Yes, uh, I had uh, in high school. Uh, I think we've talked before about sometimes the weekend comes around and you're hanging out with your buds and you put on a movie that you've all seen before. You just kind of have it on while you fall asleep or like, hey, tonight we're going to do some Charles Bronson movies or or tonight we're going to do Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, Val Kilmer. We're going to do something. And and sometimes we would do Bruce Lee. And so we just had like a recorded VHS of this movie. And, and so we would we would watch this one. Uh, but I will say, uh, admittedly, and there's a lot of movies that fall into this category. I think we would just fast forward to the fight scenes. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard some comments. Brian Fry is somebody who does a lot of that, too. So uh, in terms of and, skipping to the monumental scene. Well, if you notice on YouTube, there's a lot of, you know, clips from Bruce Lee movies that just have a ton of views. And it's pretty much just the fights you get a few oh, yeah. bits of dialogue in there on youtube but what people are watching i think is still the fight oh totally definitely yeah yeah now i i was actually taken aback because i really thought i had seen enter the dragon but i think i've seen a different bruce lee movie t- to which i'm now curious which one i've seen because when i watched into the dragon again i was expecting a, a walkthrough again and i was like um this is starting differently than i remembered and sure enough i had not seen this movie so i was I thought I had seen it, and I've been going around saying, like, yeah, Bruce Lee, Enter the Dragon, I've seen that. That's this, It's a classic. And now I'm sitting there going, like, which other classic did I see? So it's a mystery, and we'll have to continue to solve that someday. But I liked Enter the Dragon for the first time, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of fun, and I can definitely see that this is a massively influential movie. So the ripple effect off of it, it's huge. And it's, and it's kind of sad, too, in that this is, you know, Bruce Lee's last complete movie too Mm -hmm. so um it just as he's ascending to superstardom not just stardom but like global superstardom he meets an untimely death and that's so sad but uh, we will spoil into the dragon so if you haven't seen it please do and we will be back after these messages Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals. Like you. 
What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. All right, we're back. And if this is your final warning, we will be spoiling Enter the Dragon. And Dustin, for those who haven't seen Enter the Dragon since 1973, do you want to give people a refresher? Open on Shaolin Monastery as our hero Lee defeats a game Sammo Hung and waxes philosophical about martial arts. An opportunity to work for outsider Braithwaite to undo the damage of a renegade monk and reclaim the lost honor of the temple presents itself hidden in a tournament on a secluded island. And while you're at it, Lee, how about you find evidence of drug trafficking and the deaths of several working women, okay? We'll have your back by listening for a radio signal. A semblance of a tournament is held, including Americans Williams and Roper, who seem to be more interested in gambling on each other than fighting. Williams gets distracted by a bird and beaten in hand-to-iron prosthetic hand combat with Han, the uh, monk from before. Roper decides to rebuff Han's offer to expand the drug market into the U.S., and Lee does manage to send a message with that radio to Braithwaite in the very early morning hours before single-handedly whooping a whole bunch of guards and then getting trapped in a box. What's left to do? <laughs> Release a bunch of recovering drunk prisoners to take down the remaining kung fu fighters at this kung fu school and then defeat Han in single combat so that you can then be extracted by a couple choppers with a new American friend, I guess? Roll credits on a prosthetic bear claw. Yes, yes. Now, Meredith, what do you think about the story? You mentioned you might have made some changes in the screenplay. How is how is the plot for you in this one? So I think it's it's actually very modern and a little bit ahead of its time. The thing that I would really have changed is the death of the sister. I feel like she should turn that piece of glass on that guy in the barn and then, you know, help him infiltrate this place okay okay i think if this movie were made today she probably wouldn't have died i also think that probably one of the our main fighters would have been a woman if you made it today not would it be better if they had her and were holding her alive i think it might be very dramatic yeah but i i would have kept her um because i feel like she's an underutilized character and she's such a good actress and martial artist it just seems, you know. Or she could be a prisoner like a on the island. Decision. Yeah. That would be cool. She should be in the movie more than she is. Wow. You yeah, made a I, whole I, lot of good points. No, that's yeah. a, that, wow. You're coming out swinging on this one because you're right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm imagining her getting loose on the island and adding to the mayhem of karate and martial arts that are being thrown at mm-hmm. everybody yeah that would be fun that would be fun and i i did do a little bit of research on her and she really is a great martial artist it just seems you know yeah like a missed opportunity Angela, oh. now, you're right it is mm-hmm. a missed opportunity mm-hmm. she's in the movie mm-hmm. for four minutes russell she's in the mm-hmm. movie for four total minutes um and and that scene uh, i i agree what you say she should have taken that piece of glass and turned it on uh, o'hara um mm-hmm. that he's got a scar over his eye what, why mm-hmm. is it not the glass that gave it this? It was the old man, whose name, by the way, creatively is Old Man. 
He's the one mm-hmm. that gave him the scar. I, I completely agree with you. That was yeah. uh, in, in many points, but I think the overarching point is that's kind of a missed opportunity in terms of the mm-hmm. plot and, and her involvement in the movie. That, that's I, I'm with yeah. you. Well, it's interesting. So I, I think that there's some of this movie that actually is borrowing from the James Bond series. And it might be just because I'm such a James Bond fan, as I say over and over again on this podcast. But I see so many similarities to him being kind of this secret agent that's being sent in from this agency. And that's not so much the British government in this case, but just more of the like this global agency in the shadows. And they're sending him in, by the way, with no guns mm-hmm. or no gadgets or anything like that. Just a uh, just just fists of fury, if you will. So um, I, I think the notion of globe trotting to this exotic island and being in this tournament i just got this james bond vibe and mm-hmm. the funny thing is james bond took influence and changed what its course largely off of this movie one of the mm-hmm. reasons i'm getting this vibe so much is from man with a golden gun but this movie comes out just a year prior to and undoubtedly kicked off the kung fu craze that was on there as james bond goes to face off with a one-on-one showdown on an island mm-hmm. in the orient so it's interesting i i i like that super sorry i like that spy component to this and uh i actually could have fast forwarded through some of the beginning parts where you know he was coming out of his monastery and i was kind of thinking wow uh it's cool that he's had this training but i kind of want to fast forward through that and just get right into the fact that he's into spying mm-hmm. and sleuthing and that sort of thing. Like, to me, that was where this movie started to pick up for me. Well, I also like that it was sort of like a, a little bit of a classic literature take, like the most dangerous game or the, um, what is it, the Agatha Christie and then there were none. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the island business is kind of classical, I think. I'm, I'm so glad you said uh, a literature reference that I knew. I know the most dangerous game. I don't know Agatha mm-hmm. Christie, but I think mm-hmm. whenever whenever it's Chad and I talking about literature, I think we're on a we're on an Animorphs kick. So we don't usually get into like, the actual good <laughs> literature. We've been talking about Goosebumps and Animorphs. So thank you for bringing a little culture to the round mm-hmm. table. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always liked the Animorphs. Oh, totally. I always thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, so with uh, with the the spy aspect, Russell, whenever you say something like, "I wish I could have fast forwarded through this part," um, there is potentially the connotation that that means this part wasn't as necessary, and there's a cooler part to be gotten to. Um, I wish there would have been more time with learning how Lee is going to work as this secret agent type character. From how as the movie is put together right now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why or how he is able to or he is plucked or, or like what the reasoning is behind why he's there or what what skill set he has. As you said, there are no gadgets. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't any um, use of tools. He does make an excellent use of a tool in the form of a snake uh, later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it just it, it seemingly there's. If, if we just had five, seven minutes of 
showing him maybe even talking to a quartermaster or just just something that that gets us from a conversation with Braithwaite and a, and a Manila folder to okay now you're our super spy and we're going to send you in. I, I'm I feel like there's a little bit of um, disjointedness there. Yeah, we we, mm-hmm. I, I, we we sound critical in this because I really did enjoy this. So I don't want to I don't want to say that I didn't because I really did. So the, the thing that I'm wondering is what if, and maybe I'm turning this too into James Bond, you can tell me to stop doing that if, if I need to, but what if he was already working with these people before and you see him come off of a mission before he goes on to this mission? And it's personal because of the people who trained him, you can even do a little flashback to say this is where I trained and this guy has corrupted the monastery that I has tr- prepared me for the world and you know, like, so you can actually see Bruce Lee do a little more awesome fighting at the very open of this movie before he then gets deployed to Han's Island. I've got an answer for that. Mm. Meredith, do you have an answer for that question? Because I've got one. Like, why is I, I don't. I think I would have. I'm on a totally different track, but but I'll say that in a second. You go ahead. I think the, the thing is, that would be awesome. It would make the movie better than it already is. And the reason why it's not that way is because that's not what Bruce Lee wanted. I think he does have a little bit of a signature on this movie. And um, if if you gave him the option of including the, as I mentioned in the plot summary, the sort of waxing philosophical about what fighting is and his mantras and these rules about martial arts, uh, it I think he wanted to have that in there. I, mm-hmm. if I were a Hollywood agent or if I'm putting a producer putting this together, would have sounded more like Russell and said, why don't we have him like escaping out of some other mission and see, oh, oh we know this guy. He's he's already an established secret agent. Look how look at that successful mission, uh, like what happens in a lot of the Bond movies. So, Russell, you are, yeah, kind of leaning into the what what's common in the Bond movies. But that's not a bad thing. It's just uh, because you're having Bruce Lee's signature on this. Uh, he's going to put the Shaolin Temple and the the honor of martial arts sort of in there somewhere. No, well, that's a very fair point. He does he does have some authorship of of what you're talking about, and you're right. This is mm-hmm. this is Bruce sort of the Jeet Kundo philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Meredith, but what I go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was, just I was thinking that um, Braithwaite might have been looking for somebody who. Um, Han was not expecting because, you know, Lee comes from the same temple as Han did. And and Han might be thinking, oh, this is somebody who's like me, who wants to, you know, go the path that I've gone in life. And then he just doesn't expect when uh, when he gets turned on. You're right. That's what I would think if I were Braithwaite, I would want somebody who had no association with any kind of agency or operation or anything that Han could figure out or it could Isn't just be cool? simply we need to send somebody in who with mad martial arts skills and we hear you're the best like it could just that be that could simple be also too. i think that's probably what bruce would say isn't it cool? or something to that effect yeah, when somebody on on the podcast brings up something we're only 20 minutes in and i didn't think about like looking at it from braithwaite's point of view in that way um I, yeah we do need a martial artist because this is a martial arts tournament that we are having you infiltrate um, and there are other people, you know, Parsons, Williams, um, John Saxon's character. Uh, why am I dropping his name? Um, but essentially, like this, he, we Roper? do need a martial artist. Roper, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah, we do need a martial artist. Um, but yeah, I still think if if we just had a little bit of time with show us show us the spy training or the spy background, mm-hmm. uh, 
um, it would be it would be awesome. But yeah, I, I didn't think about the Han would recognize this other Shaolin martial artist and perhaps think you're corruptible or you're here mm-hmm. for a reason. That's that's yeah, you're just like me. Yeah, kind I of see. Thing. I see myself in you. No, that's a good mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And that's I do cool think point. I do think the whole point of the tournament, as he said, like mm-hmm. it's a way to bring in the best, so I can recruit the best. Yeah. So, um, I I think that he didn't play up the fact that. I think he should have just been like, plus it's really awesome. I like to watch people fight. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That you is know, great. You know, if you're a drug lord and, and a master of corruption, you can just have these extravagant things, so why not, you know? I mean, I think that I think they didn't play up the uh, rich, eccentric uh, gangster aspect of that enough. of just like, I have a fight tournament. Why? Because I like fight tournaments. Mm-hmm. The the cruelest the cruelest thing perhaps of all is uh, he has that big decadent party or banquet uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we always jump around with the movie he has that big big banquet and uh, you have two sumo wrestlers fighting um, as sort of a centerpiece of entertainment uh, sumo matches last seconds the longest a sumo match can go is four minutes. Um, the, and, and sumo matches don't end in ties. The last tie that happened was a year after Enter the Dragon uh, release was in 74. So you're going to have these two sumo wrestlers just fight during an entire banquet? They're, gonna, they're going to pass out of exhaustion. That's opulence if you can pay a sumo wrestler mm-hmm. enough to fight for hours. Because they're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Meredith, do you see where this movie... We talked about it's spawning a whole genre, but... Be more specific. Like, are there places where you see Enter the Dragon directly influencing other movies, whether it be from a parody standpoint or just from a, like, hey, I, I was inspired by this? Well, there are some that are very obvious, like The Matrix. I know that's, you know, it's an American movie, but it is a martial arts movie. Um, but also a lot of the superhero shows. I don't think that the Arrow and Daredevil would be what they are without Bruce Lee. Um, And even if you look at movies like um, the Ocean's Eleven remakes, the way that it's shot is very Enter the Dragon. It's very whip pan and stop and whip pan and stop. Um, And the music, you know, the the rhythmic cutting of Ocean's Eleven is more like Enter the Dragon than it is the original Ocean's Eleven. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty much everywhere. I think the the Marvel Shang-Chi that's coming out pretty soon, if you look at the comics, um, they look a lot like a Bruce Lee movie. So, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. Mortal Kombat is another one that comes mm-hmm. to my mind, like having a fighting tournament. and Yeah. Blood's- there's even a boat. There's a boat scene in Mortal Kombat where they're all sort of, you yeah. know, testing each other's limits. Bloodsport being another one that like comes to mind. You know, mm-hmm. that would, uh, which by the way we've covered. So that's another fun one to check out on our podcast if you don't get enough martial arts fighting in. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fair to say that this is um, <clears throat> the progenitor of what we know big silver screen movie fighting to be. Like, and, and, and everything can probably trace back to this. Or some of the other Warner Brothers affiliated, Golden Harvest affiliated movies of the '70s that came across. This one, clearly, I think there's there's things with Bruce Lee as an icon that will live forever. 
mm-hmm. um, the the Jeet Kune Do style, whether or not it is um, written down anywhere. There are people that are practitioners. It, it just is so very obvious and new. Uh, Bruce Lee's devotion to the body, uh, to like his diet and his training, as opposed to just technique. He was about his physicality. There's so much mm-hmm. there that I think is reflected in a, a lot of future martial arts, you know, big time movies. Um, so it this deserves the respect that I think it gets. The scores that you said, Russell, the the 95 and the 91 percent. There's a reason why people rate this high, and and I think. It would be because it is kind of the um, a number one, like kind of first on the list for people. Like this, this started a, a whole genre. Yeah, I think we've picked on some of its writing a little bit, but I, I think <clears throat> that if you transport yourself back to 1973, there just isn't anything in our cinema here in the West that was scratching this itch. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, there was a new genre dropped on your doorstep. And that's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it, to have something that's that out of the woodwork come out. And the fact is it's based in something very ancient. Martial arts is a real thing. And that's the cool thing that's about Bruce Lee. He's captivating to watch because he's flat out doing, his hands are moving that mm-hmm. fast. And his kicks and stuff aren't on wires. And everything that he's doing is the result of amazing training. So in a way, he's... And um, he's kind of this superhero person in real life. And to to some degree, I, I'm starting to see where for so many, the plot, very, very, very much is secondary to just, you know, he was a spectacle in the Green Hornet and he captured people's mm-hmm. attentions right away. And they were excited to see a major movie with this guy who just does things that we just haven't seen before. And they blew people's minds. And I think that that gets lost to some degree at this point in time. but. It's good to pause and think about that. Well, and and Bruce Lee is, I think, a much better actor than most people who haven't seen his movies would think. And, you know, he talks about in the movie the, the art of fighting without fighting. And he's almost like he has this art of acting without talking. He does so much, you know, with his body and with his eyes and, you know, the way he he looks at uh, Roper when they do the um, the cricket or the praying mantis battle where they're betting on it. There's just so much communication from him that's nonverbal. Um, and I think that's sort of stuck to action movies from then on. Yeah. Now, it takes almost 20 minutes before Williams and Roper into the story, and they too have backstories. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Lee must share the movie, or at least a part of the pie. It becomes more his at the end, but... Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, as far as the structure goes, like, are you, do you like these other characters, Williams and Roper? I do. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of interesting because, you know, at the beginning of the movie, we have the temple and then we have things that are very seventies. And then we have this sort of uncertain Island that maybe is the future, but we don't know. And we have sort of those ca- same characters represented there. We have Bruce Lee, who's the very, you know, the old martial arts, we have our, our 70s guy, Roper, and then we have somebody who might be the future in Williams, um, which, you know, what we know what happens to Williams. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting that, you know, not only with the location did they get across those three things, but they did it with the characters also. So I liked having them. I thought, you know, Bruce carries the movie, but those other things need to be represented in the movie. I think that some degree emphasizes the tournament component of it. Again, like mm -hmm. Mortal Kombat. I, yeah. I see that for sure. These guys needed more... I loved the flashback scenes of them. I thought that was actually really well done. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the three focused on fighters, Williams, Roper, and Lee, uh, are all taking these uh, sort of water taxis of the time to the junk, uh, to, to, to head that way where they, they meet Parsons on there. But the, the, we see the background. We see Williams' fight with the cops. We see that Roper's running away from the dead. Honestly, I, I think Roper's maybe finest kung fu foray was against the three debt collectors uh, on the golf course. I think that was mm -hmm. a very quick. Uh, it looked fluid from him. Um, I, I thought that looked good. Uh, some of the other stuff in the movie seems n not as well done. Like that that being the first time that you see his kung fu is uh, kind of sets you up like, oh, wow, this uh, white dude knows what he's doing. Um, and mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I really wish had this, this is set up as a tournament, right? Tournaments, we, you know, we're sportos, Russell. Uh, you know, when, whether it's football or basketball, like, like tournaments are uh, structured and we don't have any structure to this tournament. I'm using air quotes here at all. So if, if, if there were some type of like lead up or some type of hype towards a particular matchup, we don't really know what's going to happen in terms of who's going to end up facing who. Mm -hmm. uh, calling it a tournament, I believe it was just used in name alone. It was more of a bunch of exhibitions. <clears throat> That's that is how it felt. You're right. I. I I uh, I actually wanted more rounds of the tournament. Again, I I, I keep saying things that yes. I want more. Yeah, I want more, I want I want more Bruce Lee beating people up and mowing people down. But that's an mm -hmm. opportunity to show Williams and Roper mowing people down too. Yeah, but I did really like having them in the movie. Yeah. I thought I thought they needed to be there. You know, there's there's not you know a segment of society or culture that's not or the ones that we know that are not in this movie. It's through Roper's eyes that we see what Han's mm -hmm. mission with this really is, too. Mm -hmm. To like, he's like, I wanted you to become my North American guy. Like, yeah. So, yeah. He, well, and, he, it, that's how you see the underbelly of the operations and stuff. It's it's through selling it to him, and mm -hmm. uh, it, boy, he goes all out right away. As opposed to like, <laughs> I feel like if I were going to try and rope somebody in, I would only show them the glamorous parts and not people in cages. <laughs> He's bad at personnel management, man. He's got six bodyguards. He's he's got he's got three thousand students, but he only has two dudes who are working in like the underground power plant of evil, and and <laughs> they and they both need to wield. One guy's got a dolly, and the other guy's like helping him work the dolly. Like you need better hiring practices before you start expanding into North America. Um, yes, Russell, <laughs> you said that we're starting to sound a little critical. Let me just go ahead and, and, and make this the drop point now. I am extraordinarily critical of this movie, and I've been kind of playing nice so far. There's a lot to say about this movie, and what I'll do before we move on too far is say, I, I, Meredith, I know you said something about the, the, mm -hmm. the, the plot being kind of modern. To me, the plot doesn't matter here, because it's, honestly, to me, it's a mess. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We're here to see Bruce Lee Kia. We're here to see Bruce Lee do some awesome stuff. We are just delighted with Jim Kelly's debut as you know, doing mm -hmm. some in, in incredible uh, martial arts of his own. He is um, good. 
Yeah, he is good. Um, I know that like sort of a behind the scenes things is that uh, the the filming with John Saxon, I believe Bruce Lee was worried that for American audiences they would try to cut the movie to make it like Saxon that that Roper was mm-hmm. the main character. So like there's there's a lot of stuff about like the plot here and the tournament that's not really a tournament and uh, the motivations of Lee's character, a, a sister who's who was killed but he didn't actually know that it was uh han's organization until the day before he leaves there's a lot of stuff that's a mess here and i do not want this to be like dustin being too critical forward of a podcast (laughs) so i'm gonna step back a little bit and i will just kind of wait in the wings i think if they were trying to start something bigger to be honest with you i think that their sequels were almost for sure gonna happen especially given how Mm -hmm. much money it made i think agent lee and perhaps saxon yeah could have been back for more that would have been great i think that they were starting a franchise like their own little mission Uh, yeah i think so too like their own james bond so some of these ambitious slow starts go back and watch doctor no see how slow moving it seems in comparison go back and watch the first mission impossible movie which was our first episode that we ever did on retro movie roundtable with meredith and yeah and uh compare that though compare that though to like where rich mission impossible becomes like you know ghost protocol and stuff like that it's so much faster but there's this degree of i feel like we're setting the table for something far bigger than this movie and unfortunately he dies yeah you know what that's a good point that i didn't that i didn't consider Mm -hmm. that i mean the movie it's called enter the dragon it's it's mm-hmm. it's how I start most of my prot summaries is enter on and like it, it is a set the table type of even title, uh, so yeah you know if if return of the dragon happen, revenge of the dragon mm-hmm. way of the dragon yeah. I'm wondering if way of the dragon was the movie you saw uh, that you thought was this movie the one with Chuck Norris that that could that well I don't know but there is a there is another movie that. I think maybe is what you saw, but I'll have to Google it to see if I'm thinking correctly. I really don't know. Maybe it was Fist of Fury. I don't know. Like I said, I had a roommate uh, my freshman year said, you've never seen any Bruce Lee? And he goes over and he pulls something out and he's like, we're watching this right now. So it wasn't like a, hey, it was more of a, and I was like, yeah. I was like, I thought he started me on Enter the Dragon, but I don't think I did. Well, to be fair, to be fair, a lot of these name, a lot of these movies have different names depending on where they re- were released, mm-hmm. and some of the names are exactly the same as other titles based on the translation. Yep. Uh, so that that can create some confusion. And the other thing is, if you're relate, if you're relying on your freshman roommate to like introduce you to something mind blowing, um, like I want to believe that he was a big Bruce Lee fan. But since then, we need to honor and respect what Bruce Lee has done. But since then, we've been gifted with so much in terms of the, the, the breadth of how awesome our kung fu movies have been since then that, yeah, you can have the respect for uh, yeah, an originator, but that it, it, there's so much since then that has been, I will just go out and say, so much better. I, I, but, but I this, don't know. But this is the one that has the guy. It's like the yeah. Michael Jordan of Kung Fu. So, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you might you might have some other great players and the movies are better made. And to your point, there's probably better writing, definitely. But uh, the guy goes a long way, I think. And I mean, we should talk sure. about his sure. rise. Like he was a he was a child actor in over 20 films. He taught yeah. American actors how to do Kung Fu like Steve McQueen. And his mm-hmm. green, the Green Hornet, like a supporting role, 
was what made him break through over here and he was a he was a sidekick but he was the one that people were tuning in to be captivated by he stole the show completely and uh the kato show it was more the kato show than it was about the green hornet so uh and so again this is the first foray into american cinema and i was thinking the producers even said we got to get a white guy in here and we got to get a black guy in here because everybody's like you know this is the introduction of you know this very asian thing and you know we're going to try and diversify the people in this so that it's it's i'm sending it to this market with the intention of digesting it and they definitely definitely produced and put a lot of promotion behind this this was heavily promoted they knew they had mm-hmm. something and the returns were tenfold from what they put into it well and i think something that this movie did that is for a while was kind of unique to either martial arts movies or westerns is that you know they they're not afraid to go to the places that don't look so great. Um, Like when they're all going in on those boats to that, you know, the little, what do you call them, skimmer boats? Yeah. Um, And what is it? William says something like people around here don't live so good or something like that. The ghettos are the same everywhere. Um, The ghettos are the same everywhere. Um, Same way. So in that, you know, in that respect, it's very unique. Yeah. Now, we talked about that he's going to die soon after this. Uh, Meredith, is there anything about mm-hmm. Bruce Lee's death that you feel like we just got to talk about? I I read that he died of a, was it an overdose? The, oh. In in the report, there's something in his system, mm-hmm. but it's not something so wild. Or I, I, it's not something that immediately mm-hmm. points to illicit drugs. But when I read it, I yeah, thought Yeah, it was a my... painkiller or something. And yeah. it, it makes you wonder, you know... Because I know he had an injury earlier in his life, um, you know, this is this is a hard job to do. I mean, it takes a real toll on your body. I mean, was he, you know, in pain all the time? So that you know, that's what makes me kind of sad about it. But um, it, it was actually during this movie creation mm-hmm. that the problems really started to manifest for him. Like he mm-hmm. was doing post production, doing voice dubbing for himself mm-hmm. in a sound studio. Yeah. And uh, in 73, uh, and he started shaking and uh, Mm -hmm. and vomiting. And uh, they took him to the hospital and took him a couple of days to be able to speak again. And he had something called cerebral edema and uh, the swelling of the brain. And two months later, this is when it happened. And you're right. He did smoke hash and at another actress's house and producer for that came over to see things and he had a headache and he lied down and you're right that actress betty ting pei was her name she gave him a Mm painkiller named equagestic i think which is i don't know it's 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 a combination of aspirin and a tranquilizer and uh Mm -hmm. he had done this before actually and he went to sleep Mm -hmm. but he just didn't wake up and his uh he had that cerebral edema come back and autopsies showed that his brain swole up 13% larger than it was. And there's not a lot of room in your head for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he was wonderful at, at what he did for a living, but it makes you wonder how much all of that is actually worth it physically. Um, yeah, right. Maybe through mm-hmm. training, maybe he took blows to the head. Uh, it's mm-hmm. hard to say. He was only 32. So he was 
He was yeah, right. But he in was his he prime. was really really hard on himself physically. He avoided uh, mm-hmm. grains. He, like he things that dictate our diets today, and the things that like work with people that are trying to be fitter. Uh, are, mm-hmm. These are things that Bruce was doing before anybody else. It is at the very least a tragedy, um, and, mm-hmm. and something that I. I it's almost unfair. I think there's a total of like of the movies to see of him. There's five, like 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 the the big the big time like movies with him starring, mm-hmm. and and that is just so sad to think of that there could have been so much more. But if anything, mm-hmm. uh, having his name as the legacy to what we are lucky to have today is truly mm-hmm. because of his pioneering, not just a starring role, but just his. Uh, his push to try to like make this something that would have such mass appeal, which it does and continues to today. So the, both co-stars actually look like they can do really decent martial arts themselves. Jim Kelly, mm-hmm. who plays Williams, as well as the John Saxon, um, John Saxon as Roper, these guys mm-hmm. are actually trained themselves. And so it's I, I, this movie doesn't seemingly have a lot of big name power at the time, but they they have the skills and that's how they got the job so uh mm-hmm. jim kelly was founded a martial arts studio in los angeles in 71 and he was a karate yep. champion so he replaced rock tarkington who quit the movie three days before production was due because he thought the pay was too low so kind of a last minute fill in but it, it just turned out well because he looks like he's got the right moves himself i mean Mm-hmm. What do you think about the main villain here, Han? We haven't really talked much about him. I thought he was okay. I think he could have been less um, over the top sometimes, but I think that I think he was okay. He was, you know, not quite an equal to Bruce Lee, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, it goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. We we we, we know that. I mean, she Kien mm-hmm. has. Um, like a pedigree of martial arts movie, and you, uh, mm-hmm. and you see uh, his skills in the movie, but uh, he he is a little older. I think he is a great figurehead for this organization, um, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's maybe that's what he should have been mostly, um, as opposed to yeah. also being kind of the end fight for Lee. Um, there are other people on the island for, and and we see a lot of it for Lee mm-hmm. to fight, uh, and yeah. you know, and for the others to fight as well. Uh, but it's it's something where I think his he portrays menacing, and he portrays what what does he say? Uh, we we do business in corruption. Yeah, it's, it, mm-hmm. it, it's and it's something like you know even the dialogue isn't necessarily great to me, but it gets the point across. Like you don't you don't have to serve on a silver platter. Hi, I'm the bad guy, and it, but they do a good job of like okay, mm-hmm. yeah, he is the oh he's not just one type of bad guy. He's three types of bad guys. Not only are women found dead um, outside of the island or you know like washed ashore, but they're also uh, you know they're also distributing. Uh, you know, drugs. I don't know exactly what the imprisoned people are there for, but that's just another, you know, it's, that's another layer on that cake. Is that like, oh no, he's a bad guy. And I think he portrays that. Then you add in the opulence, you add in the, um, the, the, we're not going to call it brainwashing, but you add in like, you have a dedicated amount of people that are, that are devoted to him. That, that comes from something. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know what it comes from. We don't know why. Let's make the Bond connection again. We don't mm-hmm. know why Blofeld's henchmen are Blofeld's henchmen. Uh, you know, we don't know why Scaramanga mm-hmm. has Knickknack or whoever. Like, we don't know why these guys are are drawn to these people, but they are. And I think Han stands out that if if you were if you needed a job as a henchman and Han rolled through, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I can get on. I can get on the board on board with that mm-hmm. guy. It's not hard to believe, though. I mean, you got these ghettos. You just go say, hey, I've got a little bit of money for you. I mean, it's pretty simple, really. Well, sometimes it seems to be a little bit cult-like with Han. True. Like, when the girls coming in who throw the darts, I mean, they seem to be a little bit not all there as far as what's going on. Yeah. Well, I think they are they are dependent on, if not opium, something Mm -hmm. else. They're dependent on, Mm -hmm. on on a drug. Uh, which which is another theme that had that, yeah. that Hollywood has drawn from a thousand, if not if not mm-hmm. you know a million times, is that like oh this is something that happens you 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 get a working girl dependent on something and then they that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why Jim Kelly loses the fight. One he gets distracted by a bird, and then two uh, he's in a room filled with some type of uh, it has to be some type of smoke or vapor that has him lose his senses because i think jim kelly is more than a match for han as well sorry jim kelly mm-hmm. i think williams is more than a match for yeah. for han jim kelly he, keeps messing with me i keep thinking about the quarterback from the buffalo bills from the, the 90s bills. yeah i <laughs> yeah, know it's, it's really it's really <laughs> causing yep. me difficulty uh-huh. yeah, another but guy uh, who didn't who didn't win the big one uh, uh the actor uh, who played han though kan Sheehan. uh did i do that right i have shikin i don't she, i don't know. i think that's right yeah uh in real life, he's a close friend of Bruce Lee's father, actually. They worked together in a Cantonese opera business, and Kian worked as a makeup artist to Bruce's dad, and he was oh, so wow. close to him that he called him his nephew. And uh, cool. during breaks of Enter the Dragon, this is a little bit creepy, Kian, uh, you know, told Bruce Lee, he's like, um, uh, Bruce, Bruce was tired, and just he said, I had this premonition, uncle. That uh, you will live longer than me, and uh, it haunted Kian because he did. And uh, <laughs> you know, and he he tried to caution himself even when he said that he's like, "Don't force yourself too hard into stardom. You're overworking yourself." And uh, that sat with him for the rest of his life because that all came to be true. So, kind of a spooky moment. Uh, Hollywood, I don't know. Uh, that is spooky. Yeah. It is. Well, but you know, how old was his son when he died? Less, uh, yeah, Brandon. Not as old. Yeah, not even as old as Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of tragedy yeah. for one family. Yeah, his son yeah. dies, I think, at 28. And uh, mm-hmm. you can, I don't want to go too far off the road on to, mm-hmm. uh, Brandon, Brandon Lee's. Yeah. Small but fun casting notices. We see Jackie Chan in this. Did you spot Jackie Chan, Meredith? I was very delighted. <laughs> I missed him. Where was he? He was in the cave. But not the cave, the sort of the dungeon kind facility. of place. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of the people who Bruce Lee uh, schools, and he's the guy who gets his neck snapped before Bruce oh. Lee looks at the camera and goes, oh! <laughs> can I can I say that's the best that's that's maybe the most entertaining part of the movie is is when he's underneath in that facility and you've got so many um, underlings heading his way mm-hmm. that, that's when he uh, he fights with the I guess bow staff that's when he fights with the two batons that's when he takes the nunchucks off none of the guys know how to use nunchucks except for him I don't even know why you equip mm-hmm. your guards with nunchucks if you don't know how to use them because uh, all you Bruce Lee immediately disarms a guy and then starts using his so it, like, they, it, it, that's a really entertaining scene to see him with the weaponry. Mm-hmm. They made nunchucks illegal in the UK because everybody wanted them coming off of this. So uh, 
Yeah, maybe those were British. Uh, you know, maybe those were British maybe. henchmen. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they can't use nunchucks. <laughs> I want to, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, nobody to train them with it. I mean, the, there's there's even a comical little scene. And for the record, there's some humor in this movie. And any any time mm-hmm. that you get a little bit of humor, I think with uh, these particular uh, 1970s uh, kung fu movies, uh, of which I've seen many, th- there is kind of a um, the Chinese influence of like when there's a joke, they let it land and they linger on it a little bit, like Parsons in the boat. Uh, in the in the little dinghy Mm -hmm. Uh, like that could have ended five to ten seconds earlier but you know (laughs) like that way of filmmaking is going to be like no we're gonna laugh at this guy in the boat ha 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 the kids are laughing oh and and bruce Mm -hmm. lee smiles and you know like it is it's a it's kind of an iconic move to to like linger on the joke for for that long but there's a there's a guy walking through guarding like the the palace at night and he's just swinging around his yeah. uh, his nunchucks and he like almost knocks over a vase like they don't know how to use it mm-hmm. give him a gun <laughs> no guns on the island like, yeah or like when um <laughs> taser uh williams williams doesn't want to eat the food in the, that's right in the first uh the first day that they're on the island that's right and i think the thing he's turning down are duck wings yeah that's what it looked that's like delicious looking duck wings too so i don't know i don't know what the problem was there <laughs> So, Justin, one of the things that makes me think that the messiness that you were referring to could be a result of how this movie came to be. There was tension and arguments between Bruce Lee and producer Raymond Chow, and they were, they, uh, you know, one would end up with, like, Lee storming off the set. Uh, he was so mad. He, he wanted to have this input. He wasn't just a star who was coming to read his lines. He wanted to vault himself into stardom with this, and he was a lot. He was really concerned with whether the West would accept a Chinese hero in his movie and his new approach. And according to director Robert Klaus, the screenwriter and he butted heads a lot. And Michael Allen uh, made flippant remarks to Lee along the way, saying like, "Don't worry about it. This, we're only making this movie because it's cheap and because people just want to see you fighting. It's it's not a fine piece of literature. When you're screenplay writer." is taking that attitude with you even though it's so important to bruce lee uh you know that was that was a factor in how this movie came together alan kind of had an issues with lee and even wrote more r's into the script to make lee insecure because he had he knew he had yeah. a hard time with his r's and so mm-hmm. um lee was mad and he refused to work with him anymore and demanded a new script and the director kind of just tried to smooth things over but uh, you know, Bruce Lee even encountered the screenwriter in the streets, like out of set in the, in Hong Kong later. And um, that friction simply has to have paid its toll to what you're talking about here. And that could be another reason why this doesn't well, seem like it comes together as much. There's a tug of war happening. And there's some story, um, you know, that I've read a couple places about the fact that Roper in the original screenplay was supposed to be the one who's killed That's like right. midway through the movie um, and Williams survives. So there was a change. And I think probably not everybody was happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Saxon's uh, um, agent didn't want him mm-hmm. to be the one that died and wanted him to live on. And, you know, like I said, I think we're building up to sequels in this. So Jim Kelly was the one who ended up having to be killed off. So. That's You're not unfortunate because that. what we're describing of of of, mm-hmm. of Roper dying and Williams continue on, that would have been 
I mean, we're talking about hypotheticals here. Sorry, we're talking <clears throat> about the counterfactual, the thing that did not happen. That would have been so much better. I would have, I would have loved to have seen that. I'm sure audiences would have loved to have seen that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Williams and Lee, uh, Kelly and Lee as Williams and yeah. Lee in the Dragon Two, whatever. Like this, mm-hmm. that, that was set up for, to be so incredible. Uh, Russell, your your points about production hell and 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 the the fights between these, um, we do get. Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. We we, we get a, a, an issue where the things that are messy about this movie are very messy. And it's only because Bruce Lee is who he is and this was his last movie and that this was... Um, there are some things that stand out and we, we can pull... I, I, most of those will come up in my superlatives at least. There are some things that linger on forever. Uh, John Saxon's name would be forgotten if it weren't for this. This is, this is the yeah, only thing sure. he'll be mm-hmm. remembered for. Um, I'm, but there's a reason I, I, they didn't go yeah. get a big name, though. Like he had the moves for it, though. Like that's why you didn't just he did go have some get, moves. He had know. some moves. Uh, but you know the the strange the strange thing is is uh, I I'd love to um, revel in this movie for it being a ninety one percent ninety five percent rated movie. When you said yeah, IMDb is at like seven point seven. I don't know why that was. I'm like I do. It's because people are starting to view this not as uh, like an untouchable uh, piece of media that you know is in the Library of Congress, they're looking at it as like, oh, this is a movie. I'm going to watch this movie. Is it a an A plus movie? I think a lot of a lot of watchers are saying not really, and and it's because the the mystique and the prestige of what the movie has and deserves isn't uh, preserving it past like the critical eye. People are saying like. Yeah, I don't really get what his sister's doing there. Braithwaite says we have a woman on the inside. Her name's uh, Mei Ling. Is that right, mm-hmm. Mei Ling? Yeah, name? Mei Ling. And, yeah. and he and he hand, he he hands a picture that's like a glamour shot of Mei Ling. And what's she even doing there? We 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 don't really know. She does one thing, which is uh, oh, I guess sorry. She does two things. She 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 provides Lee the cover of spending the night with a girl. So that way he can leave the room. That's the that's the passive thing she does. The active thing she does is she opens the cages with all the drunk prisoners, which Lee could have done himself. So like like I'm that is one of many little things that are just kind of messy about this movie. But I will talk forever about the messiness of this movie if you let me. So I'll just say, <laughs> it makes sense that the the production issues do stand like like they do leave a mark on this movie. Um, for, that's, for I think that's. I think messy. what I think what you're picking up on it could be a result of that. Meredith, mm-hmm. as in terms of the style and presentation, Robert Klaus gave us. Uh, what are the parts that you like in terms of how he's presenting this movie? Well, one of the major parts that I like is um, you know the acting without talking, the communicating without talking. It happens frequently in action movies. I think it was a little less popular in other types of movies of that era. There's a lot of, whole lot of speaking. Um, but I also like his use of color. And I think that's sort of held on in movies. Um, there was a long time where movies that were very serious and very action driven and gritty were sort of muted tones. Um, and Inner Dragon, Inner the Dragon is not that. There's a lot of bright reds and yellows and golds, you know, everything they can think of is in there. 
Um, another thing I like is the use of lighting in this movie. There's sort of a, a symbolism to it where they really take advantage of the outdoors when they are outdoors, but when they're, you know, underneath in that sort of dungeon-type bunker area, it almost gets noir-like. Like, there's yeah. two different worlds. There's the outside where you can kind of breathe a little bit, and then there's the underbelly of this where it's just horrible. So... Yeah, I, I really appreciate that about this movie. I love the contrasting shadow world mm-hmm. underneath for sure. You know, mm-hmm. Klaus had a hard time making this movie. It was each morning the sound stages had to be cleared of stray dogs and squatters were, you know, sleeping on couches mm-hmm. and on the floor of the sound stage. There was a shortage of translators, so the people couldn't speak Chinese to English very well for the people who were making the movie. Many of the fight scenes were choreographed and rehearsed and filmed in just eight days, so things had to come together yeah, very quick. And that's amazing. That's just... I can't even imagine doing that in that amount of time. Stuntmen had fights breaking out between rival families of the triads. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is... I mean, I, 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 old Hollywood sometimes has like these ridiculous stories. See the Wizard of Oz episode for tons of hilarious old stories that like will take your breath away but this movie does sound like it's uh we're getting far along in history to have this many problems and (laughs) that that's not even getting into the interpersonal problems that bruce lee was having so uh it it, it's really interesting Uh, uh, even a young woman's body was found near the set that halted filming Mm -hmm. so i mean like all kinds of things are just going wrong for this and uh bruce lee didn't even show up to work for the first several days because he had like nerves because he knew that this was his big moment this is his big entry into the Mm -hmm. west and he had anxiety and did not come into the early shooting robert klaus had to deal without a star uh and filming other scenes with jim kelly and saxon and other people and han around that even though he was supposed to be there so you're shifting your schedule around your star's not even there i mean uh, you got to give him credit. I mean, he pulled it together for something that people got truly enthralled by. But uh, that mm-hmm. the difficulty in making this probably also contributes to the messiness in addition to the writing and the production side of things, too. So um, not not saying that it, it's tight and clean, but there probably are reasons for this. Yeah. And to do that, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but to do... I deal with all of that, and then there's such sort of strategic camera operation in this movie. There's a very strategic use of slow motion, which I think is very interesting, and it's sort of like the predecessor to the bullet time that you have in The Matrix. Yeah, um, that's true. Or like even in um, in the Justice League, <laughs> yeah, the Zach way the Snyder's, Flash moves around. Zack Snyder's <laughs> yeah. Justice League is a lot of slow-mo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think that's a case of overusing it. But to to get all those technical, unique, almost experimental things to work amongst all of that is just a tremendous feat. I, I thought think. it was fascinating just as an architect to see Hong Kong and how different it looked. Mm-hmm. Then. I did not even realize initially that we were in Hong Kong. It has built up so rapidly. Like if you go look at images and aerials of Hong Kong today, and then you go back and watch this movie, it is just staggering the sheer change mm-hmm. that that city's undergone. And it's amazing. I, I liked the um, palace that they had gotten 
too. And you do. Uh, mm-hmm. like those battlegrounds that they're on are just, those are tennis courts, by the way. They even left the lines painted on. I didn't notice it <laughs> until I... <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> but yeah, they just took the nets down and the poles down and, mm-hmm. and went and went uh, went into fight mode. And it, it's just so amazing that the locations that they had found. And I think this movie is really interesting as a time capsule for what Hong Kong mm-hmm. used to be like because it's unidentifiable today. Just mm-hmm. that was a strange novelty for me to get. But in the beginning... Then when they moved through the streets and where the docks were, I wanted just a a, a longer travel log of all that's going on yeah. there because I think that's a big part of this appeal to this movie too. You're immersing the Western viewers into a world that's just, you know, today we have the internet and you see so many things coming to your doorstep, but even in 1973, there's a real exotic flair for this. And um, I think that's, you can't undersell what, that did for movies of espionage like bond and these movies people were mm-hmm. genuinely excited to see these places but they just didn't know about existing or couldn't visit themselves oh yeah and i don't you don't get that much in movies today it's hard to surprise it's a people. lot so much of it is is even fake they exactly so. they try really really hard to find great locations but mm-hmm. it, it's a much more difficult task than it used to be to blow people away for sure mm-hmm. so uh, and I, another set design piece I want to just call out is the Hall of Mirrors. The uh, director got the idea for that, and there was a restaurant that had a lot of mirrors in there. And uh, so they built this set for the final showdown of 8,000 mirrors. And again, I love the man with the golden gun. Some people are a little mm-hmm. hard on that one. But the final showdown that Bond has in the man with the golden gun is in a room full of mirrors. And here it is directly taking influence from this movie. So, uh, yeah, and there's it's such a you know they set up right in the beginning the 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 whole images thing, which you know with the um, in the temple in the conversation at the very beginning of the movie with uh, with his taking master, down yeah. the images. Yeah, that's a, yeah. the enemy has uh, yeah illusion and, and you break them down something like that. That is something mm-hmm. that I feel like Bruce Lee felt was important to do is if we're going to have this come around full circle, have it come around full circle in the the Tao of what I believe uh, and, mm-hmm. and the the practice of what it is that I'm truly introducing to the West, which is um, you know Asian lead and martial arts movie forward. Uh, that needs to, that needs to be uh, in the forefront. And because it does come back to it, uh, I feel like that's something that if if Bruce Lee is watching this afterwards, right, um, in heaven or whatever. Is it, what's the thing he's happiest about? It probably the idea that um, the words, like speaking the power into the words mm-hmm. of of what it is to describe martial arts uh, in a very short amount of time um, through dubbing, uh, and then having it come to fruition in a final scene. I would say that is something he would be proud of. I I I, I would think. Oh, he will. Mm-hmm. He fought for that to be in there. That's like. Totally. For him, that's the moment where yeah. Alec Guinness tells Mark Hamill in Star Wars, like, what the Force is. Like, you know, yep. it's supposed to be that profound. Yeah, and there's something he says, and I read this on Wikipedia just before we got on here. Um, he was, Bruce was talking about Jeet Kune Do, and he said, Jeet Kune Do is merely a name used as a mirror in which we see ourselves. So the mirror, I think, must have been a recurring uh, thing for him in his life. Meredith, are there any other fun atmospheric notes that you want to call attention to? 
the scene where Roper is talking to Han and Han has his hand on this sort of, uh, it's not a lever, but it's like one of those mechanical pull down things. And you think that he is going to pull down the guillotine on the top of this cat. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually the 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 pull for the elevator, and I thought I, that was just wonderful. It's like that scene in Indiana Jones where um, the guy comes in with this um, what you think is like an instrument of torture, and it turns out to be a coat hanger. Um, I think that's in Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. I remember that. But I just I had you know I'd seen this movie before, and I had totally forgotten about that, and I just. <laughs> found it very amusing is Hans razor hand a forerunner for Wolverine I think probably oh no no don't connect Uh, those things you do see um, weapons like that in history and I've I've actually seen them in catalogs and things and I'm always disappointed that they're so big like you you wouldn't it would never fit on a girl's hand but um, but yeah I think probably I mean that's Uh, I'm not kidding Wolverine debuts in the comics one year after this Wow, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm. What comes to mind is the the katar uh, or the hand scissor, uh, like mm-hmm. like th- things that were used. They were they were mainly they're not slash they're not slashing weapons. They're more like piercing, punching style weapons that are just so sharp that they they would, um, you know, go through flesh quite in that way. Um, but I, it, the the closest uh, similarity to me used. Um, in in media was uh vega's claw in the street fighter movie uh which has its problems but it also has raul julia uh so i can't (laughs) another movie we wouldn't have without this movie for sure uh absolutely um and Mm -hmm. and and the the i know i know that han that that shikian could have done so much more i believe that the use of the prosthetics hindered his martial arts skill um but somebody had to say we need this old man who's going up against Bruce Lee to have a shot. What's going what's to give him the shot? Oh, interchangeable hands. And But what you will see in the way that he uses his body is that he, he you can see that he's holding on to the thing that holds the blades, and it's mm-hmm. taking away from his natural movement. Um, and, and that is may, maybe, I, I'm, I'm not saying I have some type of eagle eye on this, but... I think it would have been better if you just left him to his own devices and his own training. You, you, you know, let let the the fighting, the, let the blocking happen. So, uh, my my, uh, I was one of my favorite special effects is that Bruce Lee has a tiny, tiny little bag and it has a mile long of rope. And I think that oh yes, his little fanny pack or little satchel that he's got seems to hold thousands of feet of rope. And I have to ask, <laughs> did Mary Poppins' bag producer make his bag? That that was just one of those things that kept mm-hmm. uh, it was like, you know, he's just walking around the island with this tiny little pouch and <laughs> so, I know. So that's my that's my special effects note. Dustin, soundtrack. I mean, Nathan's not here. What are we gonna do? Well, I this is this is really really something that I'm not gonna say saves the movie, but it it, it elevates the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, particularly while you were while you were describing the architectural elements of hong kong i'm thinking of the uh the sort of the the disco guitar that's going that's happening um when we are seeing um when we're seeing williams and we're seeing roper kind of make their way to where they're going uh we have some really good there's a particular suite that is started um 
on the boat where, where our three where I guess four of our main combatants are headed to the island um, that we do get a we get we get it kind of spliced kind of bisected um, with the visual introductions of Bolo and the assistant Tanya uh, while they're awaiting them on the docks we get kind mm-hmm. of a, an ominous like hit and then that suite comes back in during the banquet um, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of good musical cues and hits uh, here in this um, but as far as audio is concerned what stands above the soundtrack is um, is Bruce Lee's distinctive like kiosk like the kill face style mm-hmm. well the kill face mm-hmm. is one but just like like there's there's a whole um, you know you, you think of uh, tennis players with their grunting there, I yeah. can, there's probably 10 to 15 tennis players that if you just played me audio of their sound when they hit it I could tell you who it is without seeing them and Bruce Lee is one of those guys. Like you know what, like what he sounds like. And there are people that that still like mimic that style, um, in terms of um, like their use of kiai uh, when when they are when they're doing martial arts. And and I think the thing that that one audio, be, yeah, we the 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 sound or the volume of the sound effects and like the when when. Uh, you know, fist hits its fist or face, and, and like that. Sometimes that can see it like over the top or too much. But I, I kind of almost feel like it's endearing to me. Like, like it's that too much. That that high volume, the the high. What, what the word I'm looking for is kind of like a like a snap to it. Is mm-hmm. it, there's too much, but it's kind of like indicative of the era. It's, it's what we're here for. It, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and that's another thing we're here for is. Bruce Lee's kill face, Bruce Lee flying dragon kick with that particular, uh, you know, shout from the diaphragm is just just so so very cool. There's a reason why th- those clips, like thank you YouTube or whatever video platforms, mm-hmm. those clips will live on forever. Now Meredith, this yeah. this this soundtrack sells five hundred thousand copies. It it goes gold, and it's mm-hmm. it's a fusion between Asian and, and like American funk, like. It's kind of an influential soundtrack. Do you like it? Oh, it is. I do like it. It's like it's like a collage of of all the characters that are there in the movie. One thing that I particularly like is in some of this the scenes where we're focusing on Lee fighting on his own, we have those slow motion pieces and there's almost it's an instrument that kind of sounds like a theremin, but I'm not sure that that's what it is. Um, but it takes you to this totally sort of like primeval, you know, beginning of the world type of, of realm um, that, you know, it, it exists out of time. It's not 70s. It's not, you know, far in the past. It's not futuristic. It's just totally him in the moment. Um, I, I, think that's I thought the that was Chinese wonderful. Fiddle. And, and we do see Is somebody it? playing that. Um, mm-hmm. during Han's introduction during the banquet. Uh, yeah, when, when Roper says to Williams, like, keep an eye out for the referee, uh, for some, they do like a close-up shot, a shot of one of, the, uh, one of the musicians, like giving the eye to everybody, like looking around the mm-hmm. room. And I think he's playing the Chinese fiddle, but I'm no expert on that. But that would be my guess. The thing that sounds closest to the theremin, like what you mm-hmm. said. Very yeah, cool it's, it's It's not something you hear that much or ever in other movies. There's some good sleuthing spy music too when he's mm-hmm. creeping around mm-hmm. at night or through the through the caverns. And when mm-hmm. it all goes 
fold out tilt like the battles on that's when the music is just like somehow this funky smooth flowing music it, it has a funness to it that then says the mm-hmm. mayhem is happening and here it is it like somehow it makes it more fun yeah, and you, one of you guys may have to fact check this before you put it out, but was the guy who did the music, did he do the original theme to Mission Impossible? I believe that is accurate. I don't have it, okay. I don't have it right, right, right in front of me, but I believe that that's accurate. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's another, you know, little piece of music that you'll just, it'll never leave your head. Yes. Yep. Are you guys ready to hand out some awards? Oh, yeah. yeah. MVP Meredith, do I need to ask? No, you really don't, but it's Bruce Lee. Yeah, Dustin, Bruce Lee? It's Bruce Lee, uh, it, it, absolutely. Uh, some of the, the, the moves, the headlock into the leg snap on, on Han, the grab the back of the head, throw to the ground, the flying dragon kick, you get all the hits from him in this movie. Yep, I, we've talked about him up to this point almost exclusively, so it's his. So, best supporting mm-hmm. actor... Meredith. Uh, Angela Mao. Oh, nice choice. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I'm not shocked. You definitely had a lot of good points to have her in yep. this. She sh- should have been in it more. I really felt what, felt for her when she was in it. So Yeah. Yep. Dustin, best supporting. She owns her martial arts scene, for sure. And, and she convincingly mm-hmm. makes that self-sacrifice, even though she should have been in the movie more. That's my best supporting, too, Angela. Mom. Okay. Well, it's okay. Uh, I'll be a little bit different here. I'm going to pick Han's character, Shian uh, Kian. Or Kian. Shian Kian? Shikin. Shikin. Hidden gem, Meredith. I think it's the music. Um, this, you know, it's a movie that sounds unique, and people have tried to come close afterward, but never quite have done that it's one of the best pieces of Mm -hmm. the crafted parts of this movie it's a very good Mm -hmm. very good selection in a movie that struggles with writing and was challenged for directing it uh the music is definitely well crafted so that's a very good choice Mm -hmm. dustin yep head and gem i know we're moving fast but i got two the first one is braithwaite is served lipton tea there's my eagle eye moment. He's served Lipton tea, which doesn't, Ooh. it's not crazy because uh, Lipton was actually founded in Scotland. Uh, Look but for that. The, the, the second thing is um, in the background when, when Lee is fighting like three of the uniformed fighters on the, like, the last morning um, yeah. after, the, after the Bolo fight, one of the extras in the back is just smiling the biggest smile of just like, oh, yeah. oh my God, Bruce Lee's fighting in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the face that Russell would have if he was an extra, like, like in a scene where James Bond, like, sa- or like Sean Connery says to the girl some line, and the girl, right before she goes, oh, James, like, you just see Russell's big grinning face, like, oh, awesome, it's happening. That's what this guy was. He was just like, oh, hell yeah, I'm watching Kung Fu. And like, he's a bad guy. He's, he shouldn't look like that, but that's my hidden gem, is he just can't, he's over the moon that he gets to watch this. No, that's that's a very good choice. Uh, mine's gonna be somebody else I want to see more of as well, but I'm gonna go with Bolo Young on this one. So, uh, yes. or ha- he's he's listed here as Yang Sees, but uh, he goes by Bolo from here on out, and he's he in Bloodsport. Changes his name to Bolo. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean he's awesome, and I wish we could see more menace from him. Oh, totally. You're you're a hundred percent right here. Uh, he's not he's not misused, but he is underused, and it's yeah. confusing why he fights. Um, like why he's used where, uh, and he doesn't fight Lee. 
No, I know that that's what I want. I really want to see him mowing mm-hmm. people down in the courtyard, and then you know, oh, even yeah. after Hound's disposed, I want to see one more big showdown between Bolo and and uh, Lee. So that would be so great. It would be, yeah. Now Meredith, recast somebody. If you had to recast somebody and put somebody else in their place, who would it be, and why? You're gonna hate this. <laughs> But it's bold. Oh no! No, no. <laughs> I thought he was just—he was—he was like from a cartoon. He just was too goofy for this movie. Do you have some somebody else? Faces. We're gonna replace Bolo with my my hidden gem. I think you could have replaced him with any bigger martial arts guy that you could find. Okay. I just don't like him. Ouch. Dustin. He's like from Popeye the Sailor Man. Yeah. I don't <laughs> you, you know what's interesting? During that time, um, even the bigger martial artists still carry a little bit of heft, kind of like um, mm-hmm. a UFC fighter in the off season, like when they drop weight. Um, they, they look more like Sammo Hung does in, in the beginning of this movie. They look more like just a little heavier. Him, he, he's, he was unique as being like a bodybuilder too, which is why his body mm-hmm. is closer to what you might expect a buff guy to look like today, which you don't see that much in mm-hmm. some of these movies. If you could find a big guy who's more intense, I would be good with Without that. Without a cartoony face. Dustin, yes. recast somebody. Huang Jung Lee should be playing Han instead of Shikin. Uh Huang Jung Lee okay. is the guy who plays Thunderleg oh. in Drunken Master. Man, everybody's coming after my superlatives here. That that was my best supporting too. So uh, yeah, uh, he, he's he he's a, the right age to do it. Uh, he he but and he has an incredibly unlikable face. Um, so like it's a, it's he would be a good cast for him, and I'm, and he and he would match Bruce Lee's intensity. I'm coming after O'Hara for my recast with the. Uh, who was played by uh, Robert Wall. And uh, I'm going to put in Andrew Robinson. He's the villain from Dirty Harry. I just find him Ooh, to be yeah. crazed and he does, a good, he does a good villain. So I feel like he would be a better uh, better here for the guy who got this cut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, more of an actor. Yeah, yeah, exactly, an actor. <laughs> uh, best shot, Dustin. My best shot is kind of an emotional answer. And uh, Meredith uh, hit on it a little bit. Uh, after they are betting on the praying mantis fight, uh, Bruce Lee reaches his hand out to collect the money from Saxon. I know I use the actors' names there, but uh, Bruce Lee's smile and like non-speaking acting there is so genuine, and it just it kind of just makes me just kind of makes me get sad that this bright shining star is just this was this is the last we see of him like this. And it like ju- that shot is just encapsulates like the kind of joy he wants this kind of movie to bring to audiences, and it's just this is this is kind of it. So that's that's the it's an emotional answer for me. Meredith, best shot. Well, um, so it's another scene that takes place in this sort of underground realm of the island, but it's it's the scene where uh, there's just guy after guy coming at Lee, um, and it's it's like right when he. Um, you know, he doesn't have a shirt on in this scene, but he has this stance at the end of that, that just when I saw it, I thought, you know, when you think of Bruce Lee in your mind, that's what you think of that him in that sort of stance 
ready to go. It's like what what they say before, I don't hit, it hits on its own. It's like oh, that's, that's the beginning of that yeah, cool. in the movie. Yep. So, I'm, yeah, that's my favorite. He uh, he is an incredibly built guy, and I'm shocked he doesn't uh, take his shirt off more in this one. I thought he, uh, with him mm-hmm. making the movie, he'd be like a Matthew McConaughey thing. It was just like, so wait, I have to mm-hmm. wear a shirt for this scene? Yes, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Like if anybody, if there's any fan art of Bruce Lee, there's probably a lot of that. Yeah. Exactly. particular scene and it's more like the director's like now bruce now <laughs> yeah, so, um my best shot's gonna be the mirror room when lee has the cuts on him and it, it zones in on him and he's gained his orientation and he's about to he's about to take the upper hand it, it's it, to me that's what i think of when i think of bruce lee mm-hmm. uh best scene meredith um, I think I'm going to have to go with the, the same scene that we just talked about. Him in the underground, guy after guy. It's right after the snake business. I think that's... The snake, by the utility way, Utility awesome. snake. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, like, he takes a cobra and he uses it to get the guards out of the room. And it's just so awesome. And I count that as mm-hmm. part of the same scene in a way because it's the, it's this one big long run of Bruce Lee beating up 51 as the opponent count. And that's my scene too. Is why I, I just it's it, it, it's the, sort of it's the scene where his determination really turns on, in in my opinion. Oh yeah, he's it, yeah. It, the cover's blown, and it doesn't matter. He's mm-hmm. he's out for he's out to take names and kick butt. So mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. sure, that's that's to me is just a blast. And you know, all the other things that weren't maybe working before to Justin's point on the plot, you get to this and you go like, I'm having a lot of fun. I have to yeah. say. Yeah, so. no, when you say when you say covers blown it doesn't matter. Nothing matters because the plot doesn't matter because we're here just to see the fighting. Dustin, is this your best scene too, or do you have another one? It's the best kung fu scene, but I think my my best scene, maybe favorite scene, is when he's sneaking through the uh, the grounds and the palace at night. Uh, the music is good, the guards are moving, and he's moving silently, and you have to believe that it's for real silent. Like you yeah. can believe mm-hmm. that he could move around you in your living space right now. Bruce Lee could be following you silently, and you you would believe it because like of just how lithe and nimble he is. And so I was I was really immersed at that time in the movie. Like, oh wow, that's that's real. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Meredith, best wardrobe or makeup. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, best wardrobe or makeup moment. I think probably for wardrobe, it's got to be Williams. I mean, he's he's right at the turning point. And, you know, if they made that suit that he's wearing in Hong Kong for women today, I would wear that. You know, the the, the red bell bottoms yeah. with the jacket. With the turtleneck. I think that. And his fro. Yeah, I would. And his fro, too. Yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, makeup, I think uh, actually a lot of... The women, even though they were, you know, not all there, uh, they had some interesting makeup, and I think it was probably pretty modern for the time. A lot of really graphic shapes, um, not a lot of illusion or blending or anything like that, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Now, Dustin, best wardrobe or makeup moment? Uh, you asked her first, so she beat me to it. It, it, it was it was Jim Kelly's turtleneck and suit combo. Honestly, both <laughs> both of the Americans wear that same similar combo. Um, uh, uh, Roper wears kind of a gray suit. I do. If, mm-hmm. You'll notice that the pants of the time, the pants before the two thousands were were much higher on men. Uh, the waist was higher where it was, and so like that high gray waist with a black turtleneck also looks really good on Roper. But Jim Kelly steals mm-hmm. the show with his look. 
My uh, my best, oh, yeah. my best wardrobe moment would be the lack of wardrobe for, for again. Bruce Lee takes off his shirt and he's <laughs> he's the most chiseled dude in the world. So I mean, uh, the no wardrobe wardrobe, I guess, is, is well my and pick. and the pants for Bruce Lee, the black pants. When you think of you know a high class martial artist, that's what you think of. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and a close second would be hand blades. Yeah. <laughs> that's really a prosthetic though what are you going to um, wear today sir I think I'll pick the hand blades yes uh, change one thing Meredith um, I, I've already talked about it but the death of the sister it's, Yeah, I and it's a big that. thing but yeah no that's a, good, that's a good one Dustin change one thing and only one thing have Lee fight Bolo because secretly Han is just the visual figurehead, and Bolo's the secret mastermind of everything. Oh, like Ra's al Ghul. And I wasn't going to say that, mm-hmm. uh, like to avoid spoilers for mm-hmm. another movie, but yes, I have that written down, like mm-hmm. Ra's al Ghul. Like, like, mm-hmm. ha- but essentially, the thing that matters is, have Lee fight Bolo. Wow, yeah, that's a very... I, that was... I alluded to that earlier, and that mm-hmm. was kind of my pick, so I'm just going to give you a runner-up then, because that, that is mine as well. It's, it's like, the best pick. You picked well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, just, just for diversity's sake, I'll say the movie slows down when he first gets to the island and they're undercover and they're womanizing. I feel like you can have like, oh, there's a lot of pretty women here, but I feel like the movie slows down and loses a little gas at this point. I feel like, um, Bond movies do the right amount of like, you know, there's a little bit of that titillation component to it, but I feel like this movie swims in it a little too long, and I think it loses some momentum. Whereas you're just like, I'm on the island, something cool's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And you keep noticing I want to fast forward to the fight scenes, but this is just another moment where I get me to those fight scenes. So, yeah, there's a scene in one of the rush hour movies that's just like that with the women, and you think, well, this is a little weird. Let's get on with the story. Is, is Chris Tucker picking multiple women? Like, uh, yes, like, yeah, yeah. That has to be a direct homage. I think it is, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Rush Hour yeah. movies are are underrated, mm-hmm. I think. They are. Mm-hmm. Um, best quote, Meredith. It's got to be, never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. To imply that you can, even somebody you're bowing to, who you're learning from, who you respect, can still, you know hit you upside the head or, or worse, you know, kill you or something. That's, I think that's very, very telling. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Always, always uh, keep your eyes on your back. It, it, on it's, your a, opponent. it's a really good lesson. Mm-hmm. It does bother me to death that Lee, when he bows to, I think his second opponent in the, we'll say tournament, mm-hmm. he Definitely takes his eyes off him. Eyes off him. It makes yeah. me angry. But that was, I, I think I had already turned on the movie a little bit. I was mm-hmm. like, why aren't you keeping your eyes on him, Lee? Mm-hmm. Sorry. No? Yeah. Dustin, what's, no. Your, what's your best quote? It is defeat that you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. How so? I'll be too busy looking good. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I just have to do the iconic uh, O'Hare throws a board in the air and smashes it with his fist. Yes. And then Lee smiles back at him and he goes, boards, no hit back. Or boards don't hit back. But uh, yeah, the uh, I uh, that's an iconic one that you will see again with Karate mm-hmm. Kid. Meredith, 
tell people again one more time where they can find your work. You can find it um, at society6.com slash Meredith Gray Robson. All right. All right. And if you want to hear more from Meredith, as we mentioned earlier, you can check out the Maltese Falcon episode of Retro Movie Roundtable, also the Mission Impossible episode, and the Legend episode. So she's quickly getting to be one of our most frequented <laughs> and best guests. So um, now... It's that time of where everything comes to a climax. This is where Bruce Lee takes out 51 people. Only this is it for the show. Five-star scale, half-star intervals. Meredith, what are you giving Enter the Dragon? I'm going to give it five stars, even though it really should probably have 4.75 because of the sister. But it's so awesome. Five stars. Okay. Dustin, are you going to join her in the five-star crowd? We are going to bounce off of the ropes and come back hard. Bruce Lee adds stars to the movies he's in. This movie is such a mess, and I did not get into it that much. This movie is unfortunately overrated in the history of what it has brought to cinema. This movie is a two star wow okay i detected it was going to go there but i'm surprised you go Mm. below the 2.5 mark that's this is the lowest rating i've ever given a movie and it's on the on the show right on the show on the show Um, (laughs) yeah yeah it is it is a revisit i knew what i was getting into but uh, there's not enough time for me to fully get into all of the stuff i will say i'm not the only one out there there are others who were like why do we all think this movie is like the the incredible thing that it is? The cat's is pajamas. Not. Yes. There's a lot of people, a lot of people that say this is the best kung fu movie and these people are just wrong. Is it super important? Yes. Is Bruce Lee incredible? Yes. Uh, but as a movie, especially and as I could if this was kung fu movie roundtable, I would be a guest every single week. This is one <laughs> of my favorite genres and this movie or it just isn't what everybody thinks it is it is a below average movie i think what you uh are saying has a lot of truth to it and i i experienced that the first time i watched it but then the second time i went through it i i told i i started to really see the impact of it and i had i think the experience i had a lot like this was when we did forbidden planet last year i thought forbidden planet was Mm -hmm. a science fiction movie that was so deeply influential that the ripple effect is greater than the ride that it was itself. And this is a lot like that. So I'm going to give this a four stars because Bruce Lee has this magnetic quality that has not been reproduced. And no. <laughs> I think that this is the one that starts everything. And I will totally echo all of your sayings, Dustin. I just think that the impact and how important it is, it's the dawn of a genre. Um, it's, this, there's there's a there's a weightiness of film history and why it's important here that I think that I'm going into it and for its influence, but you're not wrong. I mean, it has if Bruce Lee doesn't die, or if this was the third major kung fu movie and another movie had started this this roller coaster, I think I would be harder on it. You're not wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm being. Uh, it's because I didn't get. I did not want to weigh the podcast down with all of the things I wanted to. I won't use the word attack, but I could use the word attack of this movie. Um, and so I didn't want to weigh the, the podcast down. But if you want the def, uh, a de facto Bruce Lee awesome fest that is a better put together movie, watch The Big Boss from a year before. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's I th- I think that's what you want. I actually stopped watching Enter the Dragon to watch the end kung fu scene between Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Um, I, I, I watched that scene in the middle of this movie just so I could remember how much I love Bruce Lee so that I could finish mm-hmm. this movie, which I consider a wreck. Um, I, I love him and always will. But the movie itself, to me, fails. And I, I, I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll, I'll take the hard interstate drive out of negative town. That's okay. That's okay. Because mm-hmm. I think part of my force, not just respect to what it did. At the end of the day, it is an awful lot of fun. I find myself saying, get me to the fun a little bit faster sometimes, but when it is fun, boy, it sure is fun. So, um, yeah. It's almost, it's one of those things for me, it's like you're watching it and you so want to know what happens that you don't care how you got there. That's how I feel about it, but so it's sort of fairy tale like to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Dustin, will you help me pick a movie for next time? You got it. All right. So... We got some older films here. Option number one: these are court case movies, classic court movies. Option number one: Twelve Angry Men from 1957. A jury holdout attempts to prevent a, a miscarriage of justice by forcing his colleagues to reconsider the evidence. Option number two: Judgment at Nuremberg from 1961. In 1948, an American court in occupied Germany tries four Nazis judged for war crimes. And in option number three. The Rack from 1956. A decorated Korean hero is inexplicably collaborates with an enemy while interned in a PW camp and is court-martialed, starring Paul Newman. I think our option has to be 12 angry men, Russell. A dozen angry men it is. <laughs> and Meredith, yeah. thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, yes. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Meredith. Yep. And thank you, Lords, Ladies, and Knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook. Like the show on Twitter at at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free, so we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies, Dustin. What are you waiting for? You're faster than this. Don't think you are. Know you are.